We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Here's another piece that I trust you'll enjoy. Privileged to have, honored to have, former Congressman John Shattuck in studio with us. He joins us most Wednesdays when he's in town. Formerly uh, representing your 4th Congressional District, Central Phoenix, and parts outward. And uh, served for 16 years there. He is now the head of uh, Shattuck Associates, LLC, consulting. And um, good to see you, John. Thanks for being with us. It's great to be here. You and I were kind of thinking along the same lines. I did a monologue a couple, two, three days ago um, about this new series, this new set of talking and thinking from certain elements on the right that um, that uh, hand ring an awful lot about how we respond to the killing of three American soldiers in Jordan. Um, and um, it's it, it's kind of new thinking that has a couple odd elements to me, frankly. Um, the oddest part of it is you hear something that sounds very much like it's our fault, first and foremost, that we had no business being in Jordan in the first place, and if we weren't in Jordan, we wouldn't have been attacked. That's that's one element of it. Um, the other element is that any response is going to drag us into a forever war or a World War III. Um, the talking points are familiar to me, as they are to you, because you and I both grew up around something called the nuclear freeze movement, sponsored by the likes of George McGovern, Ted Kennedy, and John Kerry. And uh, all three of those elements at work, it seems to me, neglect a fundamental teaching from conservatism that goes back, frankly, to the 1950s. William Buckley wrote in his book, Up From Liberalism, one side cannot get weaker without the other side getting stronger. And neither side, barring capitulation, can adopt any measures that will appreciably abate the tensions inherent in diametrically opposed views about the nature of man and society. We can retreat. We can pull out from everywhere we are abroad. But that will not stop the appetites of... Marxists and Islamists and Russian nationalists, um, as history has shown. And as they grab more and more territory, they grab more and more people, they grab more and more money, they grab more and more abilities to grab more and more in an ongoing, never-ending expansion of their own empire. We've never sought empire. We don't seek empire. But it does seem to me we have a right to a foreign policy that protects our allies against that. I wonder where you are. Uh, I think I'm exactly where you are, and I'm certainly where uh, Buckley was. Uh, I don't understand, and I um, have a hard time coming to grips with 
this new thought pattern on the right amongst uh, individuals who've been elected to Congress after I left, which is uh, either Pax Americana or it's isolationist. And it's in different iterations. Some of it is, well, uh, we don't have to worry about the rest of the world. And it seems to me like they're saying we have to worry, for example, about Russia or what it's doing in Europe because, well, we have the Pacific Ocean to protect us. It's like uh, somehow these are conservatives who believe that uh, out of a, a genuine opposition to never ending wars, they think we can simply become isolationists and ignore what's going on in the world around us. And that's just insanity to me. Are these people that didn't learn what an ICBM is or because we don't talk about uh, our silos or or our our delivery systems on a regular basis? They think we can just do whatever we want here. And if we want to ignore uh, other countries, if we want to ignore Russia setting the precedent that when it feels like it, because it is a nuclear power, it can invade any country around it. A NATO country, or why not start with not a NATO country? And America will just sit on its hands and say, well, that's no big deal. That's okay with us. Without creating the incentive for other despots, such as, for example, North Korea to invade South Korea, China to invade Taiwan, uh, and on and on. And then uh, in the language you talked about, um, which is just the refusal itself to oppose those opposing views. So, uh, as you articulated it, uh, and I guess you said Buckley said it, you know, we have a different view completely of the nature of man than other countries around the world. You know, the, the Russians believe it is perfectly all right for a tiny elite subset Putin and his best buddies to do whatever they have to do to their own people. uh, And that's permissible in order to hold power. And uh, Cuba believes the same thing. And North Korea believes the same thing. And China believes the same thing. So somehow these uh, modern day isolationists just say, well, we don't have to say there's any problem with that. We don't have to have a national defense. We don't have to be prepared to use it. And uh, I guess, uh, I watched it last night and was stunned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laura Ingram, whom I agree with a very significant percentage of the time, maybe pushing 80% of the time, sat on her set on TV and said uh, the United States should not respond vigorously uh, against Iran uh, for the killing of those three American servicemen uh, because... Uh, we don't have the strength to beat them, and it could provoke a world war, and we would be in deep trouble. And after all, Biden is himself incredibly weak. S- many of those premises are right. I worry a lot about the condition of our military. I worry about the Secretary of Defense immensely, uh, and I certainly don't believe Biden is has the strength to lead us, and I think he's leading us into a much more dangerous world. But to then go the next step and say, when one of those uh, 
irrational people or actors uh, such as uh, Iran and its leaders decide to attack us, we should say, well, we should openly. I mean, she's a leader, whether she wants to admit it or not. She goes out in the American press and openly says we can't retaliate the way Reagan would have retaliated or we can't retaliate the way Trump did retaliate because we're not up to the task. That charge is complete bunk. Yeah, we're not up to World War Three right now. And, and I thank my lucky stars or thank God every day that China doesn't come after us full on. But to say it to her audience uh, and, and, and not even hold Biden uh, accountable, what she was basically saying is to the crazy world, to Iran or North Korea, um, hey, between now and Election Day. You she, got us. You yeah, got us. You, you got us. You got us right yeah, now. Right. Uh, be our guest. If you want to kill American soldiers and they're in outposts, well, we in America will debate whether that outpost was a mistake. You know, you what is the foreign policy ends or partisanship ends at the, at, water's, edge, at yeah. the water's edge? You know, it seems to me she had a duty to say, you know, we go after them and we go after them all out because that's the only strategy that will work. And to sit on our hands or, or for conservatives to say, let's sit on our hands and tolerate however American, many Americans die between now and election day on the hope that Trump then gets elected. Uh, th- that is incredibly ill thought out. And the consequences of her, of, of what she was calling for, are far more dire than I think she's thinking about. Yeah, yeah I, I, 100% I agree with you. Um, and there's two other things here that need to be discussed because one of the arguments you will hear, and I'd like to dispense with it, the notion that we have so many problems at home, we can't fo- focus our energies and monies on being engaged overseas. I don't know why we can't do both. It seems to me we revived the economy uh, robustly under Reagan when we were having a lot of proxy conflicts with the Soviet Union without needing to do much more than invade Granada. But we did support a lot of elements in Central and South America and certainly throughout Eastern Europe and certainly Pershing twos in Europe made a big difference. What was the twilight struggle all about? Pray tell someone want to tell me one, two, um, what do they think the economic costs will be? to the United States of America when our enemies have taken over our trading partners and the productions put out and distributed and exported by our allies. What do they think the cost financially to this country will be if the Red Sea through which 30 to 40 percent of global trade flows is taken over by Iran? What do they think the economic cost to this country will be if uh, the uh, semiconductor and microchip industries are in, that are in Taiwan are taken over by China. What do they think the economic costs of this country will be when we can no longer import the technology that comes out of Israel and other parts of the Middle East? Never mind international international exports from Japan uh, or South Korea. The economic costs would be dire, and if those countries, which declare openly that they want death to the United States are um, intent on what they say they are, then we have to ask, well, do their actions match their statements? Iran has been at war with us for 45 years. 
And we this, refuse uh, to accept exactly that. Exactly right. This is not about us starting a war. It's about what Lincoln said in his second inaugural address. The war came. One one side one side hated war, the other side acted towards war, and the war came. They have been at now, they had killed three Americans in Jordan, but the week before that Two American Navy SEALs were yep. killed trying to stop an illegal Iranian shipment of arms in the Gulf of Aden. And before that, over a thousand Americans were killed by Iranian forces in Iraq. And before that, hundreds of Americans were killed across the world by Hezbollah, starting with 241 Marines in Lebanon, which Iran ha- should have had nothing to do with in the first place. They have been killing us over. How about 19 U.S. servicemen? In Saudi Arabia at Kobar. How about Flight 847 TWA? Bobby Stetham. Remember that one? They have been killing us and going. So it's not a question of whether there is war. Now, when Donald Trump took out Soleimani, that pacified the world. And when Reagan launched Operation Praying Mantis and sunk the Iranian Navy, that pacified the world. There is empirical evidence about what causes war and what stops it. Sorry, John. There is no leadership in burying one's head in the sand. Um, And that is what we are doing with regard to Iran. We're just saying, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. I don't want to pay attention to it. When uh, I was first elected to Congress, uh, one of the people I admired the most, and I do to this day, was John Kyle. Mm -hmm. And in that same election, he got elected to the United States Senate, and he took Dennis DeConcini's seat. Interestingly, uh, I think Kyle did that in part through what you might call intimidation. He let it be known to Dennis DeConcini that he was going to run no matter what. And interestingly, DeConcini decided it was the right time to retire. (laughs) But Kyle had a phrase which I think is apt to this situation. And I had not thought about it uh, before I got elected. And I had not thought about it until he... uh, brought it to my attention. And the phrase was, in Washington, D.C., there are no timeouts. And what I see in Laura Engram, uh, and she had a guest, J.D. Vance, uh, the new senator from Ohio, hard, supposedly hardcore conservative, they both sat there and said, because we are not up to the task militarily, we should not respond with strength. And both of them, Vance getting into details, argued what we needed to do was to sit back or hold back and wait until a new president was elected. And then once a new president was elected, we could rebuild our armed forces and act with strength. I got a flash for J.D. Vance and a flash for Laura Ingram. There are no timeouts. Our credibility in the world is judged every second of every minute of every hour of day of the day. And if we decide that we can just sit back and we'll do a couple of, uh, what do they call them? Pinpricks around the Middle East in response to the killing of the latest three and all the others, which you've recited, the world's not going to stand by and wait. Uh, China is going to say, why not now? This would be crazy not to act now. North Korea may say, why not now? Uh, this is a time to act. The United States is being led by a coward. And even some of the top policy experts in the United States, Laura Ingram and a member of the United States Senate, 
are out there saying publicly they're not up to the task and they they are admitting their president isn't up to the task. That is simply not uh, a, a viable strategy. And and it's absurd on its face. I mean, uh, I believe we could wipe out uh, Iran in a heartbeat if they really want it. And I also believe that if we don't want more Americans killed, we better not be saying, well, we're too weak to do anything. Right. It's just insane. And and what bothers me the most is uh, no Republican, literally no Republican of a prior era would have ever said that. They would have said, uh, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. This is not something we're going to tolerate. And, and you pay a price is, for killing Americans. Absolutely. And and look at the your point about uh, economic consequences. If we're going to do nothing about the killing of these three Americans, well, then the Red Sea transit is done. And God knows what else. Uh, the only way to prevent war is to be prepared for war. Do I think we're up to snuff now? No. Do I recognize that? The leaders, the top leaders of the American military are focused on silly things, uh, wokeness and uh, uh, um, not having extremists in the military. Yeah, we've got real problems there. But then demand they fix both. If we if we don't set high expectations for our leaders, guess what? We're going to get lousy leaders. Um this point about why are we even in Jordan, which you hear from time to time and came up last night on Laura's show, we're in Jordan because ISIS is uh, trying to take over more and more of the Middle East after Trump showed ISIS what true will really was. Um, we, in knowing that, have to understand that the entire Middle East can be dictated by radical Islamists, or we can have vouchsafes and precincts of defense of our allies and some degree of civilization. We had that, actually, at various times. We had that between 2017 and 2021. We had that between 2017 and 2021 because Donald Trump knew how and where to send, and our military obviously counseling and coaching throughout and identifying the parts and places where to where to launch the tomahawks and how to take out Qasem Soleimani. Again, we had the hand ringers. But it it raises a really important philosophical question, I believe, this notion of retreat or recession from the world, which is why does any country other than the United States get to dictate what our foreign policy should be? Because that's exactly what they're doing. They are outsourcing our foreign policy to the loudest terrorist. That's exactly. And 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 believe you me, Iran, like ISIS, like China, they have a foreign policy and they're not doubtful about it. They're not self-reflective about it and they're not recessionary about it. They want to dominate the world. They want to enslave people that they don't like or that don't ascribe to their views or their ideologies or views of the world, and they don't ever, uh, as you said, second-guess themselves or hold back except in response to force. Um, it really, the phrase that keeps coming back to my mind is the one that we all heard so many times, and unfortunately, 
nobody questioned it or debated it because it was just taken as a fact, which was, well, America can't be or shouldn't be the world's policeman. And I guess what goes through my mind, well, if not America, then who? Exactly. Uh, I, you know, I don't favor jumping into war hither uh, uh, and, you know, anywhere we feel like it, uh, hither and yon, just let's go to war here. Let's go to war there. We have no interest in that. Absolutely not. But uh, there there is a time and there are places where we have to stand up and say this is not acceptable. And that time includes the killing of American soldiers. And, yeah, I I. I get it. I am as opposed to never-ending wars as humanly possible. I watched the Vietnam War uh, at uh, as close as I could, and the lesson that came out of it was very clear to me. Uh, and it is, you can articulate it in about two sentences. Number one, don't ever go to war unless you have to. Number two, when you have to go to war, Go in with maximum force, win as quickly as you can, and get out. Yeah, absolutely. And Donald Rumsfeld did not do that in uh, uh, Iraq, or at, and and we saw uh, what was her first name, Lori Twist, Piestua, get killed. Uh, our troops. He said we could do it with a very light force, uh, and we could do it very quickly, and we did, and. Poor Lori Priestua is driving along in a supply truck three weeks later and takes one wrong turn and winds up being killed. That's tragic. And that's a failure of Donald Rumsfeld and his leadership. And that's a failure right now of Joe Biden. You cannot uh, hold your enemies in check and you will have uh, serious problems and a big mess if you are motivated by fear of your enemy and you aren't willing to take them on and put down a marker saying this we will not tolerate. You know what might convince Laura Ingram? It's a question she doesn't want to have asked, which is this. Who does she think the Iranians would rather have as president, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? I know who their vote is. Yep. It's not her vote. Nope. John, um, in talking about this foreign policy issue and a strong or robust message from the United States to our enemies, um, it is interesting to me, this idea of empirical evidence. Russia didn't invade Ukraine on Trump's watch, nor did it invade Crimea. It did that on Barack Obama and Joe Biden's watch. Absolutely. Um, Iran released hostages the day Reagan was sworn in. And Iran shut itself up after we shut down their Navy in Operation Praying Mantis under Ronald Reagan. When three Americans were killed in Germany, and it was tied to the Libyans, Ronald Reagan attacked Gaddafi's headquarters. He missed Gaddafi, took out Gaddafi's young daughter, went on national TV that night, said, if necessary, we'll do it again. And it shut down terrorism for a little bit. Perhaps the greatest mistake we made during the Clinton era 
was watching Al-Qaeda grow and grow and strike and strike and do nothing more than at the very end take out a few pharmaceutical plants in the Sudan to try and convince ourselves we were doing something right. There is a cost to this inaction, and it's not our fault when we get killed. It's kind of a weird thing you saw after October 7th with it, with Israel, where people were blaming Israel. They were the victim. Civilization is the victim when the attackers are Marxists and radical Islamists. No one's calling for all-out war. No one's calling for obliteration. But when they hit us again and again and again and again and again, as Iran has, with no response, they're going to hit us again and again and again and again. That's the message we've been sending, my view. I completely agree. And, and I am not suggesting that our response should be out of proportion. Of course. Uh, for one thing, what we really need to do is look at overall accountability. What accountability has there been for Joe Biden for the debacle of our exit from Afghanistan right. or from the Secretary of Defense? Right. No accountability whatsoever. Here, there's a need for accountability. How is it that America's military couldn't distinguish between two missiles? Right. Apparently, one was ours and one was theirs, and we didn't fire at theirs because we were just confused as to whether they were both American. That's a that that demands accountability of the American military. What I am bothered by is not that Laura Ingram wasn't demanding that we go nuclear or uh, kill tens of thousands of civilians in Iran. That would not be a proper response. But telling America and particularly for an American conservative to be telling America that it would be a viable strategy to do nothing or to do very little and wait until we elect a new president. That's not how democracy works. There are too many gaps. It's not how Iran works. It's not how Iran works. And it's not how thugs like those in China and North Korea and Russia work. And if they discovered that's our policy, oh, well, conservatives in America, instead of demanding that Biden be uh, strong and that he be decisive and that he be forceful, uh, they're just going to say, well, our military isn't up to it. And this guy isn't up to it, which is essentially what she said. And I'm not arguing she's wrong about him not being up to it, but. What's the phrase? You go to war with the army, you well, die. But the military is, and our yes. technology is, and Iran is not a first-rate. No. It's not a second-rate. It's not a third-rate military. Not a chance. They have been flexing their muscles because we have been acting like a fifth-rate military. We have been acting out of fear. Mm -hmm. And when Ronald Reagan never acted out of fear, uh, they tried to cite in this in their discussion last night that Reagan had prudently not responded with overwhelming military force didn't need to uh, in some instances, but uh, counseling that because we've elected le weak leadership, we can just put the pause, push the pause button and think our enemies won't take advantage of it and kill more Americans. How many Americans is she willing to allow to die because we elected a weak leader and we don't have an election for another uh, seven months or eight months? I, you know, 
it just seems to me a new day that is hard to recognize when this movement that you and I belong to and this party that you and I belong to would not universally or unanimously stand up and say there is a price you pay for killing Americans. It's, it's, it's quite a simple moral proposition to me. There is a price you pay for killing Americans. And if we don't tell the world that, what stops the world from killing more? Right. Well, I mean, this is the point of deterrence, and we have lost all ability to deter. It's the point of law in domestic policy. Everyone knows this policy in California. Everyone knows this policy in San Francisco. When you stop enforcing the laws and you stop saying there's a consequence for theft or there's a, there, you stop saying there's a consequence for drug dealing or you stop saying there's a consequence for, um, for uh, the felonies that the DAs are refusing to prosecute, what do you get? What do you get? That deterrence being gone, you get more of it. It's quite a simple mathematical proposition, and it should not be elusive to us as a party or a movement. Absolutely. And I, and I would point out that if you look at America and Americans' foreign policy, uh, the problem over time hasn't been the lack of capacity. It's been a lack of will. Nicely put. Yep. It's not about ability. It's about Will. John Shattuck, good to see you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Great to be here. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Send them to our website, townhallreview.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us.